At this time, we'll, we'll dismiss the children to Children's Church. I see Miss Amy to my left and your right, and obviously uh, the kids will have a great time with the children's ministry. There's some that are probably out in the hallway already, but it's good to have you with us this morning. I'm so glad that you chose to worship with us this Sunday. Last week, I had the incredible opportunity to be one of you. We were blessed to have one of our missionaries with us, and I felt like she did an amazing job of communicating... Um, why we faithfully support missions around the world. Thank you for allowing me to not be in the pulpit for a Sunday. Sometimes that's difficult. I will say, as a pastor, sometimes I worry about having a guest speaker, but she did a fantastic job last week. So before I get into the message today, I do want to take a moment and just celebrate the impact of your faithfulness to the church and highlight the difference that you are making as a result of that support. There are two local programs that our church has chosen to support, and I want you to know that it makes a difference, and I want to highlight them for a moment. The first is a program that you'll hear much more about in the weeks to come. It's called Release Time. One of the things when we talked about it as a board, uh, they indicate, I need to be clear, this is not just a program to get people out like they're in prison and looking for release, even though the kids may see it in such a way. The Release Time is a program that is with the Pickens County School District, and it is in each of our middle schools. It is a time for the middle school students in the public school system to board a bus during the school day, go to a local church, and participate in a Bible study. My daughter participated in it when she was in our local middle school. It is a great program, and it's not what you would expect from the local public school system. Just to give you an idea of the type of impact that such a program is having in our public schools over the past year in Pickens County alone, by the way, they have this in Anderson County and Oconee County. I know they have it in a couple other counties as well. But in Pickens County alone, over the last year, there have been more than 500 students who have been able to go through this program within four middle schools. But the more impressive thing is that 101 students have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ over that time period through that ministry. That is in the public school system. Last week, the staff met with the leadership from this release time organization to see how we could become more involved in that program. And there are several ways that we are looking to do that. There is a possibility we may even be able to provide this in the high school. They get a larger time block uh, which would allow them to go further away from the school and they could use our facility. So that is one of the possibilities. But after meeting with the board this week, one of the ways that we were able to support them is through financial support. Thank you for allowing us to do that through your faithful generosity to the church. The second program that I'll mention is also related to the public school system. As one, as one who has lived in other areas around the country, you have no idea how great it is to be a part of a school system that will actually allow the Word of God to be presented, where God has opened up doors for that Word of God to be proclaimed to young people. The second program is called the Good News Club. This is an after-school program that is provided at local elementary schools. 
And the one that we are connected with is with Central Academy of, the, Academy of the Arts, previously known as Central Elementary. We are the church that has been sponsoring this ministry for the past couple of years, and they provide childcare after school while also proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Linda Rice, one of the ladies from our church, is the one who helped us get connected and involved with this. Well, over the past couple of weeks, we have seen two children surrender their lives to Jesus Christ through the Good News Club. Thank you for making that ministry possible. My prayer is that these decisions will begin to radiate throughout those families so that it's not just a child who is being led to Christ, but maybe even family members, parents, siblings that are choosing to also follow after Christ. And we are looking for opportunities, hopefully, so that we can continue to help minister to these ones who have made this decision. Thank you for your faithful stewardship that allows us to do ministry like these. It's interesting, sometimes we think that giving to the church is something that we have to do, and there is an element of that that is probably true. But also, we are investing in the lives of others, so I thank you for your faithful generosity. Today, I wanna to start a new series regarding stewardship, but it's probably not what you think. Sure, along the way, I will share about the benefits of faithful tithing and generosity among those who are part of the body of Christ. And I guess I kind of have already done some of that today, but that is not the primary focus today. That's because stewardship is about much more than just how we manage finances. It includes finances, but it's so much more than that. The New Testament word for stewardship, I actually put it in your bulletin today, which I normally would not have done so because it's in Greek and everybody looks at it and their thought is, what does that mean? Is that a typo? Did they? It's not. The New Testament word for stewardship is oikonomia, from which we derive the word economy. The word means the management of a household, and it refers to the responsibility that is entrusted to a manager. A steward acts as an administrator of the affairs and possessions of another or of the master. An example of such a steward would be the Old Testament character, Joseph. He was put in charge of everything in Potiphar's household. He would later be put in charge of everything in the prison. And eventually, he would be put in charge of everything even in Egypt. But what matters is that he did these things well. And nobody knows completely, we're not completely sure of what responsibilities Joseph would have had in Potiphar's house. But it's likely that he oversaw the other servants and made sure that all the minute details were cared for. That might have included finances, but it likely covered many other things than that. We do know that when he found himself in prison, it is very unlikely that he managed finances, yet he was still a steward. He managed people. The point is that there was a lot more that went into proper stewardship rather than just money. Let me begin today by sharing with you that every one of us, every person in this room, every person who's watching online, 
we have been entrusted with much. From a financial standpoint, you have been entrusted with very much. Sure, the economy is not in a great place today, but that doesn't change the fact that we live in one of the most prosperous lands in the entire world. In fact, it is likely that the vast majority of people around the world today would gladly trade places with any one of us if that were possible. But God has entrusted us with so much more. For many of us, it's the people who are a part of our lives. They may include family or friends, people who have stood alongside us and continue to stand alongside us through our most difficult days. God has also entrusted us with great resources like hospitals and medical personnel, grocery stores, a home to live in, a vehicle to drive, and a healthy educational system for us and for our children. Do you realize how blessed you are? From a spiritual standpoint, we have incredible resources. I remember sitting in a worship service around Christmas time. We were visiting a Wesleyan church in the heart of Washington, D.C. And as a part of that service, the congregation decided to bless some recent refugees from the nation of Sudan. These were young men who had immigrated to the United States for the sole purpose, no other reason, for the sole purpose of being able to worship Jesus Christ the Lord freely. Among the gifts that they received that evening were many things that we would have taken for granted. Things like blankets and clothing, but the highlight for these young men was the gift of a Bible. Seated near them, I watched them as the service continued and as the pastor preached, and those young men never picked their eyes up from their Bible. It wasn't as if they were disrespecting the preacher who probably preached a great sermon. The truth is, I didn't pay attention to what he said either. I was, and some of y'all are thinking, I know what that's like. I sat there and I watched these young men. Many of us have multiple Bibles sitting in our homes, yet they rarely get read. Consider the privilege that we have of having those Bibles. I remember I talked with one of the young men afterwards. In his broken English, he said this. He said, I've never had a Bible of my own. And what a privilege we have what we have. Or consider the privilege of being a part of a great church with some of the greatest people in the world sitting alongside you each week. These are people who love you and love the Lord. And in your greatest moments of need, you know that they will be there for you. And in your greatest moments of celebration, you know that they will be there alongside you. The point is that you have been blessed with much. But there's one more thing, one more blessing that God has entrusted to you. And it is this blessing that I want you to dwell on this morning as I share the scripture. I'm going to be talking about the gifts and the abilities that are unique to you. In fact, listen to the words of Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, which says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers 
for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So not everybody is called to be a preacher, but we are all called to serve. We've kind of sung about that a little bit this morning. And more than that, we are all equipped for whatever that service is supposed to look like. In fact, listen to the words of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 11 for a moment. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given the Spirit through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Have you ever looked at somebody else and thought to yourself, man, I wish I could be like that guy. I know that I have at times. But the truth is that the Spirit of God has intentionally chosen me to receive specific and unique gifts. He has done the same thing for that guy. There's nothing random about the gifts that I've received. He's done the same thing for you. Some of you are amazing with the gift of discernment or the gift of wisdom. Others, you have the gift of healing or the gift of prophecy. And maybe you wonder why God didn't just give us all the same gifts. Why didn't he give us all the gift of preaching? Well, to begin with, I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> maybe it's because God wanted us to depend on each other rather than trying to do ministry all on our own. Now, we'll come back to this issue of gifts and abilities in just a few moments, but first I want us to take a few moments and look at our primary passage today. It comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 9, so I'm going to invite you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to that passage. Again, Luke 16, verse 1 through 9. While you're turning there, let me share something with you. What we're reading today is called a parable, and maybe you already know all this, but just for the sake of clarity, so we're all on the same page, let me explain this to you. Jesus often spoke in parables. These were typically some type of fictitious story that was intended to drive home some spiritual point. Often Jesus would use something very familiar to his original audience, like fishing or farming knowing that the people could easily relate and understand to what he was saying. But the other thing that he often did was to include some type of twist that would cause people to be a little bit uncomfortable, but also to cause them to think about what he said long after. An example of this would be the, the parable of the prodigal son that I just talked about a couple months ago. In that story, Jesus talked about a young man who displayed incredible arrogance and disregard for his father by seeking out his inheritance. That may not seem like a big deal to many of us to seek out your inheritance, but I want you to consider the fact that in their culture, an inheritance 
was never given out prior to the father's death. And the dad would have likely known that the moment that this boy received his inheritance, he's out of here. In a manner, what the boy has said is, Dad, I wish you were dead already so that I can receive my inheritance and just go on with my life. Man, that kid was arrogant, and he probably needed to be put over his father's knee. Well, if you remember the story, the father graciously gives his son the inheritance that he's looking for, and the son does decide to leave. It's not long before this young man has squandered all his wealth and he is coming back to his father in shame. Now for Jesus' original audience, they would have loved this part of the story. This was the moment that this young man is going to get what he deserves. In their culture, justice and accountability were incredibly important. Then we see the twist. This is where Jesus is kind of catching people off guard a little bit. The father doesn't greet the son with folded arms and a scowl on his face rebuking him. Instead, the father runs to the son with arms open and he embraces him, welcoming him back into the family. See, the crowd thought they knew where this story was going, but they had absolutely no clue. Jesus was teaching them that although the Father has the right to judge harshly, our Heavenly Father prefers to welcome His wayward children back into the family. Isn't that good news to us? Well, today's parable is one of those stories with a twist, but that'll come later in the story. Again, we're in Luke 16, beginning in verse 1. This is what it says. Jesus told His disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The first thing that I want you to see here is that the master, this rich man, has apparently entrusted his possessions into the care of this manager. Remember that I've already talked about the fact that God has entrusted certain things into your care. He gave those blessings, those gifts, those abilities to you with the expectation that you would use them appropriately. Now, I've often read this passage and I've missed the first point. I get so caught up in what happens later on that I fail to recognize that this guy had everything he needed to succeed from the very beginning. We look at what happens at the end and we get caught up in that. But from the very beginning, this guy has everything that he needs to succeed. But for whatever reason, he doesn't. Maybe he didn't appreciate the risk that this rich man has taken on him. Y'all know I've been pastoring for a little more than 28 years now, but I started out as a youth pastor. And honestly, it wasn't the ideal situation, at least for that first ministry position. I felt like in many ways, I was on an island by myself. I had a senior pastor. He had been in that church for many years before I got there. But the truth is, me and my senior pastor, we didn't do ministry together. 
In fact, over the seven years that I was at that church, we only had two staff meetings, and one of them was for me to resign. I felt like I had my ministry, he had his ministry, and we just happened to use the same church. In many ways, I felt like he had hung me out to dry to figure all of this stuff out on my own. Honestly, it kind of bothered me for a long time. But then it hit me. He had two kids in that youth ministry. The last thing he wanted was for me to fail. He wanted me to succeed very much. He took a big risk by entrusting his kids into my care. Do you realize that God has taken a huge risk on you? In this passage, it would seem that the money manager doesn't start out as much of a good steward. The reason for this meeting with the rich man is accountability. You haven't been faithful with what you've been given. Perhaps he's been lazier. He's spending his resources on himself as opposed to trying to further this man's financial resources. So you're about to be fired. So what can this money manager do? Look in verse 3. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. So this guy finds himself in a very desperate situation. His world is about to cave in on him, and he's got to find some way to take care of himself beyond today. I can't help but wonder how this story could have been different had this man operated with a sense of urgency from the very beginning and not just when he's about to lose his job? Had he recognized the great opportunity, the great privilege, the great risk that had been sitting in front of him, perhaps he could have avoided the accountability that was about to fall upon him in the first place. But with a sense of desperation, this young man decides he needs to figure something out. He's not the kind of guy who's been prepared for manual labor. And his pride won't let him beg on the street corner. So what can I do? How can I fix this problem? So he begins to look at what he has available to him. How can I use what I have at my disposal to provide for what lies ahead in front of me? Let me just say that this is a question that all of us should be asking as well. Maybe we're not about to be thrown out into the streets without a job, but we ought to be asking this question in regard to our faith. How can I use what I have at my disposal to provide for what lies in front of me? This is where those blessings those gifts and those abilities come into play 
for us. They are unique to you and to me. And God gave them to us for a reason. So how are you going to use them? You know, over the years, I've seen similar patterns in every church that I have been a part of. I see a few people who are doing a bunch of things in the church. And others, often on the outside, wishing that they could figure out a way to get involved. Those who are inside the church, sometimes we don't see it that way. We think everybody's just being lazy, but that's not the case. So often they're on the outside and they want so much to get involved, but it it seems like everything's already taken care of. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I know someone else does that ministry already. Those are things I hear from individuals who come to the church. Or I see people who would love to help, but there's a big part of them that thinks that they bring nothing to the table in the first place. But that's not true. It's just that sometimes we need to think outside the box. Your gifts, your abilities, even some of your experiences make you incredibly valuable to the work of Christ and the church. Maybe you won't all be preachers, but consider what you can do. Obviously, when the church starts talking about needing help, we think of things like being in the church choir or working with our children in nursery ministries, but there are many other opportunities in the church. By the way, if if you want to volunteer for those, just let me know. Imagine that you've driven a bus or a truck. Perhaps you could drive the church van for youth trips or for the BYF group, or maybe You've got one of those creative minds. There's always some kind of design work that needs to be done at the church. Or maybe you've got a a pretty good ear for what sounds good. We always need people who can help with sound or even with our online worship experience. Did you know that there are people every Sunday that tune in to be a part of this service online? Dozens of people that do. And wouldn't it be great to have people who were dedicated to just making that happen and making sure that it was done well? Or maybe you've got experience with writing or editing or even publishing. Did you know that every other year we publish a devotional book for the entire church? And there are people even outside the church that will go on Amazon and buy those devotional books afterwards. Maybe you could be a part of that. Another thought is that some of y'all have already demonstrated that you are great with people. You have what's called the gift of hospitality. You have a way of making people, when they walk in the door, feel like they're family, like they are the most important people in the world. Use that. Maybe you're an organizer. Use that. Maybe there's something else that nobody else has ever even thought about. One of the primary roles of the church is to give you opportunities to shine for Jesus Christ. So tell us what you want to do, and we'll do whatever we can to help equip you, to give you the tools to make that happen. It's not just about helping the church organization succeed either. Sometimes it's just about meeting needs. I had someone call the church about a week and a half ago asking if I knew of a plumber in the church. 
I was able to point the individual in the right direction, unfortunately, because I've needed a plumber far too many times myself. But the need was met. In your bulletin this week, there's an invitation for those who have specific abilities related to maintenance and construction. Let us know what you can do. It is likely that there are electricians, there are AC guys in here, there are painters, there are excavators, or just people who can be available. If you let us know what you can do, we're going to find a way to use you. Let's take a look at one more thing this morning. It's the odd part of the story. As Jesus tells this parable, I almost picture the audience trying to figure out where Jesus is going with this. This money manager is about to be rebuked for trying to cheat the system, for being dishonest. But that's not actually what happens. Look at it beginning in verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager. Because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So instead of this dishonest money manager, instead of him being rebuked, the master commends him. That's not what we were expecting. This guy has acted dishonestly. He's going to get what he deserves. I want to make it clear that this man was not commended for his dishonesty. The fact is that dishonesty is never an acceptable thing, especially for those who are within the body of Christ. The argument could be made that this guy is actually even breaking at least two of the Ten Commandments. He's bearing false witness, and he is stealing from his master. Neither can be viewed as a good thing. But he's not commended for his dishonesty. Instead, it would seem that the master is simply pleased to see him acting so shrewdly, making good use of what was at his disposal. Remember, he didn't do that to begin with, which is why the accountability became necessary. But for the original audience, as well as for many of us, that is not the worst part about this story. The elephant in the room is connected to the fact that this money manager is clearly the worst guy in this story. Yet Jesus turns him into the hero of this story. This guy is dishonest. He is a thief. Yet Jesus makes him look like the good guy. Shouldn't that have been somebody else? Like Jesus, you could have added someone else to that story and it would have been really cool how this other guy swoops in and he's the hero. But no, Jesus takes the worst guy in the story and turns him into a hero. By the way, this is not unusual for Jesus. I told you earlier that he often told these stories with a bit of a twist. Do you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? This was the one about a man who had fallen victim to a band of robbers. There are a host of other characters in that story, most of whom would have been respectable and admirable among the 
crowd. Yet Jesus doesn't allow those individuals to shine. He makes the hero of that story a Samaritan, one of the most hated people in the Jewish culture. He's the one who rescues the victim. And then Jesus makes it even better by asking his audience, which one was the hero? He makes them admit that it was actually the Samaritan, the worst guy. He's the hero of the story. And here we are again. Jesus is allowing this ungodly man to shine. What's the point? Have you ever looked at other people and thought, now that's the kind of person that God could use? What if God wants to use even the less godly to accomplish great things? Listen, if, if you are spiritually mature, stay that way. If you are not spiritually mature, get that way. But regardless of which one best describes you, today, you need to allow your life to begin to make a difference for the Lord. God gave you gifts and abilities, not because you deserved it, not because you were more godly than everyone else. The reality is God blessed many of us long before we even knew who he was. I challenge you to use the experiences, the abilities, the resources, the gifts, the relationships that you have to make a difference now. Too many of us are waiting until we become spiritually mature before we jump in and use the opportunities that God has given to us. I want to close this morning with one simple question. It's actually two, but anyways. What have you been entrusted with this morning? And now what are you going to do with it? Some of you have relationships where you can connect with people that I can't connect with. What are you going to do with those relationships? Some of you have gifts and abilities that are so unique to you. I don't have them. Probably the people sitting beside you don't have them. What are you going to do with the gifts and the abilities that God has given to you? Some of you can memorize things far better than anyone else in this room. What are you going to do with that? Some of you can make a difference in a way that the rest of us only dream about. What are you going to do with that? I believe today that God is calling this church to something greater. But a part of it is going to be dependent on all of us together using what God has given us. If you would bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we are grateful for this short story of a man who became a good steward even though clearly he had not been. Lord, I pray that you would give us a sense of urgency, that we would become shrewd with what lies in front of us so that we can make a difference today. Father, I pray that each one of us here would approach the gifts and the blessings and the experiences and the opportunities that are in front of us with an attitude that says, Lord, I want to please you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to use those gifts today so that your kingdom may increase. You've blessed us. 
Now allow us to use those blessings. Lord, give us a vision of how those blessings can be used. And maybe we need to step up into a ministry that already exists, and we need to get involved in doing things that we haven't done. But maybe, maybe it's something we haven't even thought of as a church. Give us a clear vision of what you need us to do with the blessings you've given. Lord, take away the excuses, but instead make us willing and able. And we'll give you praise for what you accomplish. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I did have one more thought before I dismiss you, and it comes from a scripture passage that some of you probably are very familiar with, and it's something that, it's not really in my sermon notes, but it's something that I, I felt led to share with you this morning. Sometimes we make excuses as to why we don't serve. Some of it, we're tired. I, I, I've done it for years. I, I don't think I can continue to do it. I appreciate that sentiment, but I want to challenge you with something. Any of y'all ever heard of a guy named Jacob? Actually, I, I said Jacob. I meant Caleb. You heard of him too? <laughs> Caleb and Joshua were the two good spies. Moses sent them down. They came back with a good report. They trusted the Lord. They actually sent 12 spies. 10 of them came back with a negative report. And everybody believed the 10 as opposed to the two, Joshua and Caleb. The 10 spies that gave a bad report, along with an entire generation of Israelites, will die out. But there are two that will remain, and they will be able to enter the promised land. Caleb is one that we hear less about. Joshua, actually, he's got his own book. We know about Joshua. In Joshua chapter 14, it talks about Caleb. Listen to what he said, 14 verse 10 and 11. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, listen to this, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. 85 years old, and he's still out there doing the work. Now, I will say there might have been some dementia and him saying I'm just as strong as I was 40 years ago might not have been 100% accurate. But what we see is someone who has not reached the point where he's throwing in the towel. He still feels called to go and to do the work and he's going to do it because he knows there's still work to be done. There's still work to be done here too. Young, old, somewhere in the middle, we have a job to do. Let's do it. Thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace.